Hello, hello, hi, welcome uh, to a really short, <laughs> I say this every time and sometimes it turns into an hour, um, get Richard Design trying, um, hashtag G or D T. Um, sorry for the long pause. So this is going to be a pretty quick one. Um, something that was rolling around my head. Um, it's been rolling around my head for a very long time, and actually, it'll probably become its own well fleshed out longer episode about um a couple of things that are close to my heart, which I've spoken about before. Eugene Ways, Ways, um, social capital sta- status as a service, um, essay. And the idea about in the age of the influencer, let's not use influencer in the negative term and use it as an advocate in this term, where you accumulate value through um, your self-worth uh, in what you put out there into the content of the world for others to consume and the orbits of communication and social channels that you inhibit or in, not inhibit, but in embody uh, i'm just going to pause here for just un momento por favor uh, apologies and i'm back um so okay elon musk and twitter so let's just break down a little bit for just a second so twitter is um at 50 i forget what the purchase was out of it like he wanted to buy it elon musk wanted to buy a purchase of twitter for approximately 48 dollars a share whatever that might be it's all-time high was a couple of months back which is about in 70. now i go into this because i'm going to briefly allude to something here that anyone here who's listening to me that might be an aspiring designer or designer or ux or somewhere in the digital product world and doesn't actually follow the weird, crazy, fantastical world of like microeconomics and macroeconomics and TA technical analysis and stocks and trading and etc. and the tools that the people who um, embody or live in those ha- uh, habitat of that kind of world and the lexicon, the type of words and mental model, conceptual models. It's something that I very dearly want to try and go into in the future because um, I really feel like uh, something that I, as a younger person, and even now today, uh, a little bit resentful to this, and I'll just summarize it in a a kind of spiel that I have that I use a lot uh, for myself, I guess, more than other people. But, you know, money is as I've spoken before, is just a technology. It's a it's a liquid liquidity tool. It, it allows you to um, shorten or reduce the friction of time and difficulty for exchanging value between goods and services. But um, in life, the hard, cold, starkness of life, money will cripple you if you fear it. It will disillusion you if you coveted it. Um, if you can tread the line or toe the line in the middle 
where you understand and can appreciate that it is simply a technology that allows you to leverage your own ability. I think that's the people who probably do best with it. Now, don't get me wrong. And I come from a background where, unfortunately, but you know, you played the hard the cards that you're dealt. And um, I actually recently finished watching Russian Doll series two, and I think the takeaway from that um show was that you can't live in the past. Uh, you can't change what has been. You can merely accept the byproduct of your circumstance. Now, you can have learnings from that you can have perspective you can have coming to terms with it and i think maybe that's the greatest thing that you can have about your past is learning to live with it um because much like how we have to accommodate ourselves or make condolences or make compromises to those around us um, because we live in a system, we live in a socialist society, we live in a sum of parts, not one individual thing. Learning to live your past and not resenting it and not using an excuse for why you didn't do X, Y and Z is a very powerful, important thing to do. Uh, anyway, the takeaway from Russian Doll was that you... Well, okay, it's my opinion, sorry, and I'm pretty sure it's probably multi-layered, but I think that you will only cause yourself hurt and self-destruction and possibly to the others around you by trying to change what has already been. And I guess without using time travel, that might come across in real world application as reframing things in a dangerous way that aren't isn't real or trying to convince the perspective of others and i guess that's after the fact and something that designers do very well and very dangerously is that they can tie up the strand of information from the past and make it look like it was always going towards a certain destination and you know 12 hours before a deadline is due and you have to get a presentation together or a slide deck or whatever it is for this huge body of work that you've been working on and it just hasn't come together now i will take a pause here and i'm not trying to um, I'm not trying to blow my own horn or big myself up because there has definitely been times in the past where, you know, crunch time comes and you have to produce something, whether or not it's good or not, or whether or not it makes sense, or maybe you didn't put enough work into it, or maybe the thing that you're working on actually needs more time than was allotted for it, or maybe it's actually just something that doesn't deserve the time. Um, I haven't probably in the past produced things that I would say were dead on arrival or time of death, meaning that that's it. There's no more time left. You just got to produce something. And some of the greatest designers and some of the greatest wisdoms you can get from anyone in the world, I'm sure people could take it from anywhere, is that you sometimes have to put a limit 
onto time and you have to establish constraints because as Victor Papanek would say, and I'm paraphrasing here, a famous um, designer who, who um, Design of Everyday Things is one of the books to read, um, and also just in general, um, I think it would be on a lot of undergraduate design courses to, as literature to read, but without constraints, design can just be an infinitely inflating, self-serving task or mind brainstorming session. Everything's possible, really. You know, you can justify everything. And which goes back to the, the point of this argument that given enough perspective, time and agenda, you can justify nearly everything. If you're, I'm using bunny air quotes here, if you're clever enough or you have a, like a lawyer kind of logical argumentative, and I mean argumentative kind of in the sense of like, if you do computer programming, you know, making an argument, you know, the famous Monty Python sketch. But, um, I just think that it's very dangerous that we can frame arguments. Um, and I guess that will be its own thing in itself, another episode, but the greatest thing that a designer or someone who's trying to build or make things or inspire other people is not to align the constellations after the stars have been born, but is to be the nuclear reactor, the nuclear fission, fusion, pardon me, to be the nucleus of the star, to get people to critical mass, that they become self-sustaining, to make the ingredients, to make the orbit that will allow gravity to sustain a moon, to get to escape velocity, to be someone who inspires people to keep building, to keep making through what I guess is something that me and a, a friend of mine in an undergraduate project touched on about work culture and the future of workplaces. If you establish true ethos and true culture, it is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's like DNA inside of a cell. It's, it's not absolute rules. Mutations can still happen. It's, but it is a guiding force. Now, with all that said, let's move to the real point here. Elon and Twitter. I'm going to just come in straight from the trading perspective that I've learned over the last, I don't know, 18 months, shall we say. Uh, I was always kind of interested in it. I was always interested in fintech. I was always interested in the possibility for blockchain to help accelerate the idea of banking the unbanked getting people onto this frictionless commerce network um, eradicating the inefficiencies in the banking system. But um, one could say the same about Twitter in itself. Um, pardon me for un, un momento again. Um, so with Twitter, I guess, um, you know, I just made the comparison there of banking the unbanked. I guess Twitter is kind of like um, cognitively or intellectually banking the the unheard. Um, 
giving a voice to the the unheard view and that is what I myself love about Twitter and I, my, I have a friend of mine and he I can't remember the beautiful way that he poised it but Twitter is kind of like a lottery machine uh, a knowledge lottery stream and KLS shall we say where you find people that you have an affinity towards or an interest in or respect of and you populate this cascading stream of multi-consciousness. I know that sounds a little airy-fairy and it sounds a little grandose about like a social network type platform but and, and I've mentioned briefly in the past and it's something I've probably tweeted multiple times over the last five years, if you go through my tweets, um, it's just that there's something intrinsically valuable about Twitter's baseline structure. And I mean that in the sense that I guess it's such a simple recipe that you tweet 140 characters and that was 260 or 280 and it's just words, it's just characters. Um, you can't really inflate it or dilute it too much. Um, it's people's thoughts, it's, it's how they think, it's how they feel. And that is like, as since we started recording people, I guess through songs and poems, been at the core of intellectual advancement, you know, probably the one of the re reasons the biggest accelerant of human advancement in technology has been our ability to record the past for others to profit upon. So, you know, standing on the sh shoulders of giants. Now, there's a whole deeper thing about the dangers of thinking that you understand knowledge through information rather than experiencing it. And that is very deeply at the core of Plato's Republic. Now, I say that as if, ooh, this man has read the, the Republic by Plato and he understands philosophy. I have read snippets and chunks of the books, I don't know, book, 10, book 9, 7, whatever. I have read summaries. I have read interpretations. I would not call myself a, a expert, but I take away from it the theme that in that book, the resemblance or embodiment of reality in in real life, IRL, versus the aspirations of the creator of such a thing versus the perceived value or the perceived notion, symbiotics, Roland Barthes, um, expected value, interpretation. Those three, there's more, it's, much, it's more layered than that, but those three ideas of that there's the maker, in their head, the architect, there is the creator of the making, which is going to be the carpenter of a chair. And then 
there's actually there's four if you think that then there's the well you could actually say there's five there's actually the chair itself if you could have it in a vacuum there is four the person who will sit in that chair and then there is five the the chair perceived as what it is is a chair like the archetype of a chair what is a chair you have a, when i say a chair there's something in your head it might be different for all of us but there is this baseline chair is for some of you it might be very well formed for others it's this four-legged back supported structure and i think if you approach it the value intrinsic value and intrinsic means and I say this now, not even thinking, I don't actually truly know what the word intrinsic means, but as a design perspective, intrinsic value means that there's this innate baseline value or quality to a substance or material or, or experience that is almost like it's granular essence that you can't really distill it any further. This is the true trueness of this thing like the timber timber wood if you're using it in a coffee table or as a handle for something it has this it has its physical properties which you could argue are its intrinsic values so it's it's warmth through the level of induction of heat that it has or insulation if you want to use insulation and or the texture of the roughness of the the grain of the wood against your fingertips or the smell of the wood even, or its ability to absorb a varnish, it's slightly abstracting away from baseline value, but its readiness to suck in an oil and change its color, you could argue. So what I'm saying about that is towards Twitter is that while all the other social media platforms had an angle, oh, MySpace was about getting your band up there, Bebo was about your wall, European listeners or UK Ireland listeners. Um, Facebook was about college students connecting and then it changed. Like Facebook is interesting in the sense that it, Facebook is kind of like a microcosm of a macro event. It's like a company that has reinvented itself, which would usually happen over the course of a decade. But it reinvented itself over the course of three years at a time kind of time span horizon. And I would still be long meta because the metaverse, as overpromises it is, is completely the future. Ready Player One and the Sovereign Individual, a book, will give you all you need to know about the possible maximum of what is coming. And if even 30% of that maximum comes to fruition, then meta is in the right domain. And it's a bit like GameStop. Regardless of what GameStop does as a company, like if it captures even 15% of the market of this huge boom that is occurring in video gaming culture, if it only captures 10, 15% of that, it's going to be a valuable company. Um, so the accumulation phase has happened as well. So network effects, we, we get the idea that 
if something has been around long enough. And so we can take into consideration as well the accumulation facts. So Twitter not only has this intrinsic value that I'm hinting at, but it also has this kind of network effect um, accumulation. So um, again, go back to kind of investing kind of world. If you think about Uber, what was Uber's plan? Like Uber, I think still even to this day is, maybe it's turning corner now, I forget, but fundamentally Uber was losing money for a very, very long time. And it had so much money invested in it as a company that its debt far exceeded its like return on investment or its revenue. Or... But the long game over like a 20 year window was that Uber will completely revolutionize or restructure or change the dynamic of what it was to get a taxi and that taxi services now have to operate like Uber and Uber has now like struck a deal with the New York Cab Taxi Association or whatever it might be called in New York State or and that basically they were operating technically illegally and now they have now like absorbed or entwined themselves into the taxi system over there and this feeds into Elon a little bit in the sense that um the big promise of Tesla is that the cars will be bought in huge fleets by um, companies and services and governments and cities or whatever and automated self-driving cars etc um, but Uber ran itself at a loss for such a long time with the thought or belief that if we underprice everyone else in the market or we provide a better service even though it's costing us money long enough it will undermine and destroy the market share of something else so like taxis people are getting to the point where like the idea of having to call up a number that you have on a card physically obtained of a taxi or to like go online and search up a taxi person is kind of archaic or uncomfortable or too much friction to just go onto a platform where you can just put in your location, say, pick me up here, and then I automatically pay through my car that's pre-saved. Um, that experience is objectively fantastic. And I would make the case that it's dangerous in the sense that maybe it's causing a lot more transactional interactions between humans. But the ability to hack that moment inside of the car and to actually elicit responses and communication and conversation with the person driving you is still there. And let's be frank that a lot of people would have and still do and did have non-human interactions with the person that was driving them, like chauffeurs or whatever you want to call them. And it's fair enough. I understand that people are busy lives. You just want to get A to B, you're paying money for a service, so it's not your job. You shouldn't be expected to interact with someone, and fair enough. Don't worry, we're going to have AI uh, taxi drivers who are going to have a small chat with us, so you, you can feel good about yourself, and, and you can actually practice conversation. <laughs> and, like, I'm slightly joking here, but I'm 100% real as well, uh, serious about it. But, um, yeah. So I know, as you know, with me, I 
meander because I go into a thought and then I expand on that thought far beyond what is needed in the moment for the overarching um, delivery of information. And I lose my train of thought as well because I'm I'm kind of I'm and this is what I like about like just writing down some bullet points and not having a structured script to go follow but and this is why having someone else to anchor me when I speak would be great and we're going to have eventually have um, conversations with other people but just bear with me and thank you for putting up with it so yeah Uber had accumulation network effects and Twitter has done that Twitter has become a much more understated and in my opinion undervalued version of YouTube. What else can they put up there with, with it? Um, you could argue, and I'm pretty sure don't Google own. I'm pretty sure Google, ah, I'm not recording this in the video. Gosh darn it. I got to start doing my YouTube game, as they say, now that I bring it up, Google. But uh, Google own Giphy, or they own imager or they own one of those gift making or meme sharing websites because do you know what do you know what oh <laughs> uh, yeah for some reason i'm imagining Kanye reeves saying that um they understood that the internet or internet culture or the sharing of information one of the integral intrinsic baseline values of the internet is well, okay, that could be a real academic pursuit to actually outline the layers of the internet and communication on it. But let's just stick to the point. Like, imager, giphy, gifs, sharing, whatever, emojis, emojis, I can put emojis into this. They have a certain baseline language, communication, culture, bridge over kind of thing going on that you couldn't really put a value on per se but has become integral to the way that people navigate and communicate on the internet and by having ownership of Giphy or whatever you have an insight into how humans communicate at a macro scale individually small slices you're probably not going to get that much information out of it but when you start to accumulate vast swabs of that um, patterns of, of, of type of intellectual signal, signaling, You're, you get a huge view into the persona of, of social communities. But not only that, you, you have provided something that is a baseline ingredient to how people amplify themselves. So is Giphy or whatever worth billions? I don't know. But does it add billions in commerce in the cultural exchange of the internet? Yeah, probably. And so Twitter managed to do that for itself. Even though Twitter went a long period of losing money or wasn't profitable or only making small gains, it has slowly, and I borrow again from the thinking from the 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 trading world or the investing world that 
they've been in such a long accumulation phase. Like Twitter and Facebook are kind of the same length of age in existence, kinda. Yet everyone's like, whoa, look at Meta, look at Facebook. It's incredible. The money, the value, blah, 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 blah. People think that the internet is Facebook in some countries. They're providing the internet. And they were ambitious and they were well run and they have incredible engineers and they had some of the most famous venture capitalists slash growth hackers slash early advocates of Web.25, whatever you want to call it. And they had Mark Zuckerberg, of course, Twitter had Dorsey, have Dorsey, and now have Elon. Um, but Facebook went chasing revenue eventually. And it's a bit like, okay, Google do so much, so I won't go into that in full, but Google was originally this incredible indexing machine that used the weighting of index searches to create optimal results, but then that got obscured or skewed by the pursuit of profit. PP, pursuit, POP, pursuit of profit. And, and oh, that's another episode, and I've talked about that as well, but the idea that the reason that we probably are going to have a recession or a huge whiplash event in the markets is one, 40 to 60% of all index funds own the top six, seven companies. So if the SP 500, only six or six, I'm going to be generous to say, I think it's only extra four to six, but I'm going to be generous to say six to eight of the companies, which are mostly technology companies actually comprise 40 to 60% of the value. So if they ever start to stagger or, or become laggards, the whole thing will actually cascade with it because the domino effect and algorithms and machine bot trading, etc. This is the whole thing that I need to go into people, but I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but that's a concern. And I have to stop now to get my train of thought again. Pardon me. Twitter didn't cannibalize itself in search of revenue while Facebook did. And as I alluded to, Google did to an extent. And like I said, most of Facebook's value and inflated perceived value on the stock market, which when I say perceived value, ultimately they actually translate into real value in real money terms for a lot of people. And same with Google. Um, their lunch is about to be eaten or is being eaten right now because People are more careful about what they share. They're more conscious about fake ads, fake news, clickbait, and also blockchain technology, etc. is offering the opportunity to create microtransactional events, get paid for smaller engagements, slash filtering tools, etc., etc. Rules from the EU, for example, about what you can advertise, blah, 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 blah. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at something I talk about another time when I say blah, 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 too. Uh, as someone I went to school with before, and they're, they've been very successful in life, actually, and I was congratulating them, and I was like, very well done, and you know, you know yourself, the, you know, the blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, it's funny. But anyway. Um, yeah. The value was inflated and it was based off mostly advertising so targeting people now we've gotten defense mechanisms up 
and we realized, wait a second, that won't fly no more. Don't get me wrong, a lot of people still, and even me, even us, whoever you are, no matter, and I mentioned this in the previous podcast, no matter how intelligent you think you are, no matter how well educated you are, what good internet ethics you have, or slash etiquette, you will still get caught up in a soft social programming. Um, And again, what's fantastic about Twitter, for the most part, now there is more images on it, there is more Giphy sharing, there is more videos, there's the whole NFT thing, and I'll go into that in a second, but, and there's the spaces, and I'll go into that again, and that's actually a whole episode in itself, oral, oral interaction and social communication, but it is words. It's thoughts, it's people having opinions, it's specialists in a field and a domain knowledge just saying their thoughts and linking you to content that they're interested in and you can choose to follow them or not follow them. And for the most part, you can still use chronological order in your stream or you can become like an Uber user or like a pro user tool person, hyper user that I use Tweetbot, for example, TweetDeck, whatever you want to call those kind of apps whatever the word is encompass those where i have like six columns of different lists that i've saved different people to and those are my like go-to lists so i have one for cells and cancers and covid i have ones for when i got caught up in the whole gamestop hype which is my most followed list from other people which i think is very funny but just goes to show if you start to get traction the algorithm will actually feed that towards other people I have one for finance, I have one for blockchain technology, I have one for art and design, I have one for um, um, geopolitical affairs, Russia, and between all of these different ones, I can get at a very quick glance a snapshot of what's occurring, and a lot of the people on them are overlapping, of course, um, and just it's a knowledge digging sourcing tool that I have in my arsenal along with my bookmarks and my digital gardening, etc. Um and this is this is where this is the crux. This is actually the crux of the whole argument. This is where the value is, this is where intrinsic value is. I obtain an incredible amount of valuable information or the agency or incentive or the inference towards new content that I find agreeable slash disagreeable, because I sometimes I like being presented with things that I don't agree with, and I have to resolve that in myself, or just things I am sim- stimulated in, or have interest of, and it puts me on the right path to discovering more, and the circles so actually, Paul Adams, big shout out to Paul Adams, uh, Intercom, previously Google Circles, um, Google Circles, come on, such a great conceptual model for a mental model about social networks. We all have circles, Venn diagrams, orbits of communication, sometimes our electron covalent bonds would overlap and we'd have shared atoms, or pardon me, shared electrons. It was on the right money. Everything was right, but I think they were just trying to force too much of the... It wasn't organic growth, number one, and number two, because the organic growth of Facebook came from the whole college students. You know, there was sub-micro 
organisms there that kind of grew into their own things and then they cross-pollinated. Google circles kind of... I don't know, like looking back on it, if they created user tools with UI and UX that embodied that idea that you could see these circles as they overlapped, that might have been very, very interesting to double down on that. But that was kind of the the, the theme or the, the cell of it is that like, we have different circles. We don't want them all to cross-pollinate. Sometimes we want to keep some of them private. Sometimes we want to have X amount of them open. And we, maybe only to us from one perspective can we see the whole chain. Uh, but as far as I remember, there wasn't actually a really good visual overview of that just for the personal user. Anyway, um, Twitter kind of is a little bit of that. And it's, 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 it's so much going back to my first point about social capital and credence, social credence that you have reputation on the internet and you have a certain amount of buy-in that you've obtained through engaging with the system, with people, with community. And do you know I'm going to go back to a fantastic, and I can't think of it. And if, guys, I'm, I do promise if I get better at this and if I get any bit of traction, I will do due diligence and I will put in the links to these things that I am referencing. But, um, uh, oh, that band, famous New York uh, music artist. <laughs> what is his name? Oh, LCD Sound System. And there's a great video interview of him. And he's talking about, he was, he was kind of rebelling against the system, the culture, the community that he was kind of semi-involved in, or, you know, the space in New York City. And then eventually got to the point where he was like, feck it. I want to change this resentment that I have. And I said, I am going to just engage in the culture. I'm not going to critique it. I'm not going to be like, but this is not great. That's not great. Oh, I've got issues with this. Oh, they should do this better. Once if I just kind of put that aside for a second and I actually start to look for the good in all these things that I still find issues inside of on a whole, but I actually focus on the essence of good qualities and good merits. And I actually, instead of being the standoffish outsider, being like, yeah, whatever, that's not original, blah, 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 blah. He started to become a bit more like, oh, no, no, okay. Oh, that's a cool idea. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Well, maybe if we did this, or do you know what? I think you're a little bit off the money, but do you know that one point you made is, I actually really think that's, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? And he, through doing that, through taking that mindset, that shift of going all in on it and embracing it, the network effect of just knowing humans, this is the thing, you cannot, this is this is this is it. This is the crux of it, right? Twitter can't be abstracted down to just point A, point B, point C of of a information strand or stream. <coughs> Excuse me. And as I heard from a couple of other podcasts and some really good podcasts, you know, Twitter is in some ways one of the most easily copied systems out there in like the platform world but have the mini copycats done anything to beat it no because the buy-in the accumulation factor is so big because they've been doing it for over 10 years 
and it's not something that you grow tired of or it's not something that over time becomes a bit unpopular or uncool or that fad is gone because why it's words have books become unpopular yeah there's a debate about books becoming less popular because it's the content medium for consuming them but in essence the idea of writing down words has not changed whereas facebook was like oh it's all about the posts. Oh, no, it's all about having a poll. Oh, it's all about the photos that you share. Oh, it's all about, oh, no, I have a storefront. And they just kept doing all these things. And, you know, remember when there was no stream? Twitter always had the stream. Like, the most revolutionary thing that Twitter had, though, was to take something that is, like, permeating a lot of things right now. <clears throat> the taxonomy of information. Because the hashtag, the pound symbol. And that wasn't even like that wasn't even an original quality or feature of Twitter. This is I'm going back to 2016, 17, and where I obtained this information, but it predates that by a long bit. And it was a forest fire or something like that, and or some kind of emergency was occurring in America at the time, and someone came up with the idea of hashtagging, and they just put the hashtag in front of like forest fire. And now, don't take that verbatim, that could be completely wrong, but the essence of it is correct. So, and then the people building Twitter were like, that's such a good idea. Why don't we make this like hashtag thing a thing? And it, it thus it became a thing, and to, the, to, to the extent that it became a thing everywhere. Now, the concept of like putting a, a codifier or labeling things, that of course, that's not new, but. Um, the social media aspect it was, it was kind of revolutionary groundbreaking and they doubled down on that and listen i actually need to go look harder for kind of tools that let you mine or dig through the data that is on twitter and i've seen a couple of very interesting versions of that and i'm sure sql graph query etc could do some phenomenal things with twitter because i've seen some phenomenal things that i've partly experimented with with the, the kind of the weight of your interactions, shall we say, or the strength of your connections. But again, I, 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 this is not the 10, 15 minutes that I was going to be. And I'm, I do, I'm probably going to re-release this episode just with a hot take summarizing Elon because clickbait. Um, well, I want to get some accumulation going. You know, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but I hopefully I'm doing some justice to the idea of the notion of like Twitter is not to be dismissed. It's not something that you should just like I think, ugh, something else will come along. Of course something else could come along, but there's something very pure. Now that's what made it very hard to monetize Twitter. And most of its monetary monetization is coming from things in the last two years. So the idea of Twitter Blue, the ability to edit a tweet after for thirty seconds if you misspelled something nfts having like that hexagonal and if i have a design for that that actually would be fantastic just purely from the hexagonal aspect not the real value of nfts is far deeper than just a graphical representation it's to do with community etc we won't go into that that's another episode um what else is that they do they do spaces of course spaces which is clubhouse so clubhouse had its lunch eaten so I have to read, do a bit more research on that and think about that. <clears throat> and I've alluded to the oral-oral conversation mechanisms before. But um, 
pardon me for coughing. But um, so go. They've been monetizing more effectively, shall we say, with these little. But they've a huge problem with bots. A lot of fake people. I can see it in myself, even on my. I have like a. I have a couple of Twitters, like a few of them. Um, the majority of the extra ones are actually for ideas and services. This podcast, for example, which I haven't really gotten off the ground yet, has its own Twitter handle and a couple of other things, something to do with NFTs. And then I can have something that I was against, steadfastly against it for a long time, because I I love the idea of being my, more of myself more of the time, and not to be bending or molding myself depending on the situation that I'm confronted with. And I mean that with family and business and friends. But then I got this notion in my brain that the idea of a pseudonym, like I think the future of the internet is a pseudonym version of yourself, which is like a Reddit or a Twitter handle, but it's not you. So it's kind of an essence you, or maybe it could even be a pure version of yourself sometimes versus complete anonymous you. That's just like, I don't want to be known at all versus like you for like tax returns or the government's social uh, engagement or, you know, community or voting, etc. And there's more nuances in that three archetypes or versions, but whatever. And I got to the point where I'm like, well, I need to embrace what it, and I still need to do with the anonymous side of myself. Um, but I, I just can't see the value in it for me personally, because I'd never want to say something that I wouldn't want to fall into one of the other two categories. Because I don't do illegal things. Well, <laughs> oh, he said, well, that sounds ominous. Um, What's an example of something that I would like to do completely? I don't know. Um, Jeez. What is it? I'm trying to do something legitimately here. It, 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 rationale is I like to be m- more me more of the time. Like if it's me online, I guess, okay, the ration, one of the strong rationales for the pseudonym version of myself is, um, let's say people would dismiss you because of the type of person that they think that you are. And this is where the power of Twitter comes back again. The essence of Twitter, the intrinsic value is that if you give yourself a different face that's unknown by anyone, that doesn't come with any community or social waiting and it's just your thoughts and your the, like your actual input into the system is what gets valued and what gets appraised. It comes with no baggage. And from there you can build accumulation and you can build like investment from others based off your ideas and thoughts and beliefs without like I don't want to I'm going to use something that doesn't make sense but it's just simpler to like let's say you're someone that let's say you're a man that really believes in the Me Too movement or let's say you're a white person that really believes in Black Lives Matter and you completely are clued up on those two topics and you have really thoughtful opinions on them and you want to have input into the conversation, I don't, I don't want to go too much too deeper into the philosophical issues or, or positives to such a, a thing. But obviously, um, maybe people might have a perspective of a man 
chirping into women's rights, blah, 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 blah. And again, I don't want to go too deep into that. I'm just trying to oversimplify this, just to give us an example. Or a white person coming in talking about the rights for black people. Which, uh, just from a quick take, I think everyone has an opinion to anything that in, in any way remotely interfaces with their own lives. And then in some in certain instances of established discourse where we're kind of saying we are in a debate right now and we are purposely talking about this from a very argumentative, logical debate way and now we're bringing up this topic, that's also okay. Now, if you're not in that kind of podium or arena and it doesn't interface with your life from a weekly or day-to-day basis, maybe it comes off as a bit strange if you're inputting on it but anyway going back to my point is perhaps those people couldn't have those opinions heard as well or respected as well if they came in with their real world selves but if they have this anonymous pseudonym version of themselves which maybe slightly misleadingly could actually align itself with being a woman or being black a black woman who's gay <laughs> you know you know the you know what I'm trying to say there, that the idea of having like the traditional cards stacked against you from representation and being heard. Again, I want to really quickly walk away from this because I don't like getting into the minefield that is these opinions, but they have to be alluded to and they have to be touched upon. Twitter has kind of afforded that to a lot of you. So I engaged with it. A little bit, particularly after hearing about a couple of standout people who got their careers going through having like basically a blog system going uh, about opinions. Let's say they're in a professional world where they couldn't talk about their opinions openly and then they had this secret version of themselves talking about it. But ideally, and the interesting thing is that the two instances that I'm thinking about, ultimately once they got enough buy-in or critical mass they actually assimilated themselves to their real self and said ha it was me all along i am batman <laughs> but um which brings me back to my original belief that i want to be more me more of the time and so my i guess another factor was that i didn't want to be causing spam for anyone that followed me on my real twitter to be contaminated with stuff that I was kind of exploring at the time, and particularly for NFTs and maybe cryptocurrency, that like I can imagine how it could be draining or sickening to see stuff. And again, like I said, I kind of use Twitter as a knowledge mining platform. And I just didn't want to contaminate the people that I'm friends with or follow on Twitter to have that pollution for something that I'm dipping my feet into kind of thing. Now, there we go about friendships. The most people on Twitter, I don't know, I do, I do, I think I do, I do have a couple of few friends on Twitter, but that's another dramatically different thing where you don't call people friends on Twitter. You call them followers or you follow and that in itself is a very important distinction or sets the tone. 
Whereas Facebook straight away were like friends, friends of friends. And that's dangerous because are you friends with these people or are you associates? You know, acquaintances slash associates slash friend might have been a very good thing for Facebook to try and instigate earlier on or to do. Of course, then it was making a very taxing decision for the user. Like, oh, are they a friend? Are they an associate? Are they a... You know, that would have been really stressful. And did you make the friends list kind of thing? And do you remember? Do you remember people said that I'm doing a calling? I'm I'm calling all the people on my Facebook friends list because I only want to have the real content. Well, actually, my lists uh, and Twitter are kind of like that because uh, I'm thinking of like really refining the lists because I put a lot of bloat into into all of the main ones and I could trim trim them, get them lean, so that I'm only getting the good stuff. But um. Yeah, that was a bit of essence to that. People were kind of saying that in Facebook. And I remember one particular person, I was like, I saw their <laughs> message on their board on Facebook or whatever it was, their stream, news feed, news feed. New- and that's the irony. <laughs> Facebook called that the news feed, which is very clever of them. But in reality, it's Twitter is far more close to being the news feed. And that's where a lot of its social buying come from. And some its credence and another part of its accumulation. Sorry, finally to go back just to tie up a point from earlier about YouTube and Google. YouTube is an integral part of the internet. YouTube is like Giphy, which Google own, I think. Um, that like you use that to communicate video. Um, like it's huge. Like and I love Vimeo and I love that Vimeo trying to be different and split like. And I hope they're still doing good, and I like what they do. And the curation, the curation on Vimeo is spectacularly good. And I think there's still a bit of that, well, you know, uh, what am I doing with that voice? Um, yeah, I'm putting something on the YouTube, but, you know, it's an arty type thing. I'm going to put it on Vimeo. And I definitely, I don't want to use the word suffer, but I did that too. And I did a speculative design kind of thing where I'd put out a video and I won't go into the credence of the intricacies of this, but, you know, the whole idea of a speculative or discursive design piece or a design fiction is to elicit a response in people. And usually it's to kind of like subtly get under their skin or under their thoughts to make them think about things more deeply that they wouldn't have been thinking about through the guise of something that's super consumable, like a YouTube video that has a bit of comedy in it, whatever you want to say. But... I realized that, okay, from a portfolio or whatever, I could put it on Vimeo and look really, like, curated. And, like, look at this design piece I did. Versus, well, once if I just put it out there and change the audience settings and tagging on YouTube so that we get to the biggest market of people, because ultimately that's what it's about. It's about getting people to see it and to feel it and to, to have a question about it. And... Uh, Twitter is kind of like that. You know, there might be better versions of Twitter. There might be more bespoke versions of Twitter. There might be these cool, intricate, secret Twitters that use blockchain for verification and you have to have X amount of money on a token to get into it. But, like, if you want to actually be there in the discourse, in the open arena, the platform of conversation for the most amount of people that's open to engagement and no restriction barriers... You know, you go to YouTube or you go to Twitter 
And again, uh, Hacking Great, great Book mentioned before but like they found out a statistic there's a great statistic about twitter that the majority of people don't tweet they just follow and once they get up to a certain number they actually come back to the platform because they love the content that they're seeing and only x amount of people are actually creators on it and then x amount of people are actually commenters and then x amount of people the vast majority are bystanders are consuming but back going to the buy-in the bigger buy-in that twitter gets is like you see it embedded like youtube videos or like giphys or like instagrams images embedded into other articles into other websites it became a component block if we're talking about design systems in the past this became an ingredient of the design systems and even on news channels how many times have you seen the twitter like it's so interesting the twitter box like the the tweet box of the text the little icon the name of the person how many likes etc how many times have you seen that um like CNN or Fox News or Sky News or BBC, etc. As this kind of like, hey, look at this semi-authoritative real news. That's not actually like peer-reviewed journalism, but could come from a reputable um, source or during times of conflict and crisis. Ukraine, Russia, we're getting really close to the ground, rapid, quick developments that you could could not get through traditional journalism media. And that is something, again, that, like, how do you put a value on that? That's actually incredible. It's an integral part of the news psyche development of the internet. So Elon Musk is buying into something that has incredible intangible value. Intangible assets, which are very hard to define, as people will know. So I think I've presented a case here now for why Twitter is valuable. I actually haven't gone into its future value, which I probably need to do a little bit of now. So a lot of Twitter's future value, I think, is coming from the idea that now that we've had such a long period of accumulation and buy-in, if Elon does this idea that every person on Twitter is super verified, as in, like, if you don't have more than, like, I don't know, it might be 500 followers plus, could be probably be more, um, you'll have to pay X amount of money to get labelled as being a real person. Um, otherwise, you're bought and the account will be destroyed or deleted or whatever. And that's a huge thing. And now that we are entering this world of blockchain and digital assets and twin twin assets as in like real world assets and a copy of it in the digital realm with NFTs, etc. That means that there's value to be had in, in the digital world. So protecting it becomes even more valuable. So having your voice. And again, if you read status as a service, you're going to have the mindset that, you know, everything that we do in this projecting podium that we have now through these amplification devices or medias means that we gain more value the more we engage with the system. So having ownership of self and having a reputation is so important. 
Um, and so the whole idea of like NFTs and Twitter Blue and the idea that you can show off like a library or a trophy case of your NFTs is a lot of virtue signaling, but it's also a lot of status symbol symbolism. And Twitter has established that dynamic and you know I don't think anyone else has that buy-in Twitter have a lot of buy-in got and they do the Twitter spaces which basically add up clubhouse as I mentioned before so it's actually a place where the most amount of people actually converse now big argument about discord I think Twitter should buy discord uh, no no my argument was my argument was if Twitter really didn't want to be bought up by Elon, they should have approached Discord and said to Discord, hey, you guys are really helping the network effects of the Web3 NFT scene. We're really helping the network effects of the NFT Web3 scene. We both are about conversation, discourse, and communities, really. Let's just become one thing together or amalgamate or whatever. And I think the two companies together, that would have been very, very super interesting. And that would have made coding and standardization of two of the main ingredients of how the whole Web3 thing is trying to expand um, much easier. So I really like, okay, and this is, this is a big one about future Twitter. So now that we've established that Twitter has the buy-in with the Web3 crowd, and that it has huge buy-in in the sense that like it's an infrastructure that has not really mutated itself or caramelized itself like other social networks have. It's stayed pretty core to its essence and purpose and its dynamic of interaction. If it just introduces micro transactions. Wow, incredible. And I tweeted about this a couple of years back, I'd say. Um, imagine that, like I can just tweet you a tip. They have the tip chair. But if I can just inside of the tweet do it, or like a tick turns it on and I just put the money in, the, the, the numerical uh, value, imagine that. Or imagine gaining a certain percentage of the sharing of a retweet. So you have the base, you have the, you have the first content put out there. Loads of different services have tried to do this, Steam it, etc., using blockchain. And the notion or idea conceptually is fantastic, amazing, and makes all the sense in the world. But do they have the buy-in? Do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the established mental model that Twitter has? No. So imagine you can just do that now. Amplify. If you have OC, Reddit. I haven't mentioned Reddit enough here. Now, Reddit, very interestingly, oh, I have to do a whole other episode. I'm not going to go into that now. But Reddit have a little bit of that, like that the original poster the OC original content creator gets a bit more rep from how much it gets shared. But Twitter kind of has a bit of that, but imagine you get financial gain from that. Or your social capital, let's say they put a metric on that, which I'm pretty sure Twitter probably do under the hood that you don't see. And this is, what's very interesting about Twitter is that they actually it comes with a lot of analytical tools that the average user wouldn't use. But if you ever go into your settings and look at the analytical tools, it's very, very interesting about impressions, etc., heat maps of your engagements with your tweets. Which is interesting because this is going to the a deeper thing that we'll talk about another time is how much of self is about these 
amplifications of self in this new world where everyone has an audience and everyone has to have value given through what they input into the system into their social network versus purely trying to gauge and monitor and amplify the monetary ability for you to export self so that's another reason why Twitter could be just phenomenal. And Jack Dorsey has been working on layer two or whatever type Bitcoin stuff block. And they own Square own a bank. They have a bank. Square is a bank. It has a banking license in America. So all the greens are there. Jack Dorsey has been funding a Bitcoin designer community, developer community to make Bitcoin more usable. Block itself has been working on really, really interesting stuff to do with really being like, nitty-gritty about what would a very plain Jane durable indestructible type low energy like no battery needed type wallet look like and how would that be able to easily convert from real world to digital platform world so with Elon now there with the, all the history about PayPal talk about a, an incredible joining of network effects now, I think I might have to do another episode to really have this better and more concisely laid out, but we will talk about maybe more cynical or more direct reasons why the Twitter acquisition is smart by Elon or why he's doing it. Number two, in my honest opinion, HMO my honest opinion, honest opinion, doesn't matter. Um, I think there's going to be a huge drawback in the markets. And now the opposite could be true because the logic would be why would Elon buy something that's going to gain huge value or lose lose loads of value? And so he's buying something just before we're going to have a huge rip upwards. Yeah, there's an argument there for sure. And I could be proven wrong, but if we look at the macro information over the course of the next two months or less, I, I this is being recorded on the first of second first second of May, and I strongly believe by the 9th of May we will have a huge downturn in the market, and that's kind of just through fundamentals slash. Oh, I, I can't go into the the strange world that is like looking at patterns on charts but it just seems to be indicating we're, we're at a super critical point and either we're gonna have a huge bounce one last bounce is very possible um and then it's over regardless in the next two months i think it's over um and when i say it's over i don't know how deep that over is it just be it's a huge correction but tesla is about to get a haircut if that's the case because tesla is one of those top four companies that i was talking about so if you're the richest man in the world who owns X amount of stock in a company that you think is about to lose like 20 to, well, if this is like a true correction and it's something at the scale of the Great Depression, it could be something anywhere between 40 to 70% of its value could be shaved off. Before, on the long term, like over a 10 year, 20 year window, completely like coming back with a vengeance, like Amazon did in the dot com bubble pullback. And factor in inflation there's absolutely skyrocketing in value um 
100% that could happen. But in the short term, huge pullback. So why wouldn't Elon cash out some of his stock in Tesla? And by having this call to arms or reason to have to sell his stock, to buy Twitter, it's less suspicious. It causes less disturbance in the market. It won't really feed a sell-off. Because if he just did it out of the blue, people are like, why is he selling? If he really believes in Tesla, why is he selling? Um, so there's that. There's just a pragmatic, practical sense that like, well, it's good business to do that. So if you genuinely think that it's the market's going to do that, it's out of your control. Why would you just let the money go to waste? And if you truly believe in Tesla, you would protect and sustain your own private value so that you can buy more of the stock later on when it crashes and you'd have more authoritative control and input. Because ultimately, from everything that I seem to be know about Elon is that he doesn't believe publicly traded companies can be as efficient as privately owned ones. So which feeds into the idea of taking Twitter private to improve its uh, functioning and its efficiency. But also the big factor here, why he probably wants to generate so much money on the markets. And there's an argument about Dogecoin that like how much Dogecoin does he actually own indirectly? Um, because he seems to have been able to pump the market whenever he wanted. Uh, and we don't need to go into the, that's, a lot of this is speculation now by me, so let's let's not I'll just take that as food for thought. Um, so he could be making a lot of money on that, and I think it's strongly because, and along with this Twitter deal, he wants to create money for keeping SpaceX private. Because I don't know if he believes that he can get SpaceX to Mars in his own lifetime if it ever goes private, and he has to be beholden to shareholders um so there's that so i've established why twitter is a pretty phenomenal opportunity and it could be worth loads of money in the future but that doesn't change like the macroeconomics or sentiment right now so my rationale or thinking is that if there's a huge whiplash event in the markets or downturn taking a company private insulates it from the sell-off that will happen from the index funds and hedge funds owning a lot of it which is very shrewd and clever if you think about it and this is again my honest opinion that i've been thinking about for a long time um and i'll probably do a whole piece on it in itself but if we are going to go into this huge whiplash moment or of correction a lot of that stems from my belief that we are about to enter a hyperinflation period that is equivalent to the Industrial Revolution time. It's like it, just, things have to get recalibrated, re, repriced. Our consumption rates are just going exponential. So therefore, the baseline, intrinsic baseline input costs have to exponentially increase as well, which filters up through the system and then everyone's cut has to get bigger as you go up exponentially so we're going to have this insane burst in um cost of everything so when you factor that in we really have to consider we have to really consider the intrinsic value of twitter
relative to other assets. So as Ray Dalio said, cash is trash. Um, if hyperinflation does occur, the things that actually sustain better value are real and tangible assets. So owning a company that has real utility, like Twitter or an energy company, electric company or solar panel company or car manufacturing company, well, of course, the operating costs. So car manufacturing company is a bad example, and that's why Tesla's probably going to get a huge haircut is because I just said that the baseline intrinsic value of everything is going to go up from the bottom. So that means all the components that feeds into making a car are going to exponentially grow, which means the price of the car is exponentially going to grow, which means the margin revenue in the growing pains of that period is going to be difficult. Uh, whereas Twitter is just running on servers. Now the servers run on um, the cost of electricity. So you know electricity is running going up in value, but in essence, very low um, operational costs. In fact, it could be probably usually uh, made more efficient, uh, which I'm sure that Elon's probably going to do because he's a very first principles kind of guy. So feeding into another reason why Twitter needs, or Elon needs Twitter, is machine learning and AI. Um, out of all of the social networks, the ones that I can see that still have the most amount of human input of really articulated thought, and it's in a really nice dynamic of sentiment of like, you know, and Microsoft had released that AI bot or that machine learning AI that was like speaking based off what was happening on Twitter. Like it learned its emotive personality through Twitter engagements. Um, whether that was, it became very cynical pretty quickly, I'm pretty sure if I remember, but um, and became like a neo-Nazi or something like that. <laughs> But um, the fact that they could even do that is pretty amazing. And the fact that Twitter is basically a huge gold mine for that is incredible. So the level of cost to source that kind of data re reservoir would actually cost millions and millions, if not billions. Um, and which is exactly what Elon needs for Tesla right now to advance its machine learning, AI, artificial intelligence driving, self-driving. Which there's an argument that I've heard from a couple of the podcasts that is something that he would love his self-driving to help him make self-driving uh, vehicles and machinery on Mars. So it's so interesting that that could all just feed into this great grand vision of, of this character. But it's a it's a legitimate reason why owning Twitter would be a network amplifying effect for Tesla. Um. The third reason is the reason that you probably heard the most that Elon is, loves Twitter himself because he loves um, talking nonsense on it, being funny, being a Web3 Deegan, you know, child of the internet age, um, Zoomer. He's not a Zoomer, obviously. He's like 50 plus years old. So he's close to like, he's, he's he, in fact, he's over a millennial. He's, is he a boomer? <laughs> I've established these age gaps, but like he gets the internet culture memes he's such a actually really good at memes himself and he gets the whole idea of it and he loves video games and you know he's a nerd you know computer programmer type personality and so why would he say no to the platform that he actually gets the most enjoyment out of and he's like the richest man in the world so it's just like a kid in a toy shop kind of aspect to it um and then there's the business side 
this is uh, the next big point that I want to kind of put out there as a big point is that Twitter is essentially the modern millennial slash Zoomer version or Gen X version, all of them comprised version of the Washington Post. So Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Well, Elon's the world's first, second, third richest man, depending on what month we're in, is buying the digital version of the Washington Post in modern times. If you think about it, as a as a narrative, as a discourse machine, as a an engine of information. Um, yeah. So, I think for the most part, that's what I've done. He's hiding what he thinks would be losses in Tesla, justifying them by putting them into another asset. That asset will hold up well in value because it will be private versus being publicly traded during a downturn. And he is buying uh, a reservoir of AI data to simulate. Plus, his social capital is going to be amplified by the fact that he owns basically the modern version of the Washington Post. What I just said in the last minute and a half is probably all you needed to know. <laughs> um, I will continue to expand on these thoughts, but until I do that, um, as always, get Richard Design trying, and I hope I'm helping to articulate some thoughts or at least stimulate um, new perspectives in your own thinking. Um, and if anyone ever wants to reach out to me, absolutely do, please. Um, you can get me at uh, Die Designing uh, on Twitter, which you can hopefully just search to get Richard Design Trying, or and uh, my personal domain handle is at Melted Laughter, which will be its own episode in itself, guys. And it actually feeds into the um, social capital building um, status of the service notion. Um, yeah. So um, thanks. Goodbye. Um, I'll need to have to do a summary of this as a separate episode, I think, because there's a lot of stuff here. Um, I'm just trying to really quickly think if there's something else that I really want to get in there about Elon and Twitter. Um, I don't think so. Well, no, I absolutely do think there's more, but it's just not coming to my head. <laughs> um, and that's that's all we need to know. So, um, enjoy your lives. Um, yeah, thanks and goodbye. And I'm just going to keep softly talking because I'm waiting to press the stop record button. And bye bye. Thank you.